we'll stay here in Second Peter for, uh, I believe, most of the morning. I don't think we're going to leave but one time from from the this book. But um, <clears throat> this morning, we'll, I don't know how far Matt will get. We'll be in a marathon race. He says he's going to cover chapter 2 and 3 in the third hour. So I would say hang on for that. But uh, I'm going to be happy to get done with chapter 1. So uh, we're going to start here in chapter 1. And I... I really don't want to go too in depth on, on much. Just kind of want to just go through the, uh, this first chapter and uh, tie some things together and, and see what Peter has to say here. As as we know, this is the second epistle of of Peter. Um, so uh, this is I'm going to assume that he's writing to the same crowd. It kind of at least seems as though it, as he is. If you flip over to First Peter chapter one, he says there in verse one to the pilgrims of the dispersion. In Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, it seems to me at least he's, this is his second uh, letter to them, uh, but that still doesn't take away from, from anything we're talking about this morning. Um, I want us to really focus on two words in that are repeated. One word repeated uh, four times in the first chapter and one word repeated in one form or another twice. The first word is knowledge. So as we're reading through, I'd like you to take note of, of how many times that word is repeated. Uh, it's, in chapter, or it's in verse 2, 3, 6, and 8. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more extensively about that, but just kind of keep that in your mind. And then the word diligence, uh, that's repeated there, or said first in verse 5, and then it's repeated, uh, you got diligence and then diligent, so two forms of the same word, but in verse 10, so verse 5 and verse 10. So what I'd like to do is I just want to read through the first chapter, and then we'll come back and start back at verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir up to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when, when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were in, with him on the holy mountain. 
And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so, you, at least to me, there's kind of uh, three main, I don't know if you'd call it topics or whatever, in this first chapter. Starting in verse 5 through verse 15. And those set of verses is really focusing on what he says there in verses 5 through 7. And then you have another break there in verse 16 that really sets up the stage for chapter 2, which Matt will be coming into, talking a lot about uh, the false teachers or the false prophets uh, that, w- that came before. Uh, and then he's referring to the false teachers that will be in their time. And so uh, there's a lot of good things in chapter 2 for us to take note of, of false teachers uh, that can be uh, spotted among us. And a lot of these attributes, I'm sure, we will have seen, and then the first part of the of the chapters, um, what I would say, Paul or Peter's introduction in into the book. So let's pick up there back in in verse one. So he introduced himself as a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And um, you know, if I think about how Paul introduced himself, they you know it was, it was very common for for the, at least Paul to introduce himself as a, a slave or a bondservant of Christ, and that's really how Jesus wanted the apostles to view themselves, wasn't it? You know, He wanted them to, to not be uh, haughty and above their brethren. He wanted them to be lowly and humble themselves, even though they held the, this position or office of an apostle. This is the attitude He wanted them to have, and I think you see that in Peter. Uh, and most importantly, He's saying He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then the next part, to those who have obtained. And this word obtained uh, in the New American Standard is received. This this word is mentioned four times in, in your New Testaments, and most of the time, the other three times really, it's talking about casting lots. One of them is in Acts chapter one, where they're talking where they're picking uh, the apostle to replace Judas. If you remember there, there um, it says that he obtained a part in their ministry. Um, actually, I think Matt read through that this morning. I think it's verse seventeen, if I remember correctly. Uh, but what I gathered from reading those other three verses that this this Greek word was mentioned is really is something that you don't deserve. You know, Judas didn't deserve to be a part of that ministry. He was chosen. And I think that, to me, that's the biggest thing I, I see to pull out of that is to those who have obtained the like precious faith and that precious faith that we don't, we don't deserve. We don't deserve to be counted uh, in amongst the saved, per se. Uh, it's, it's nothing that that we can earn or deserve of our own being. It's just through Jesus, uh, our Lord. But he says there, to those who obtain like precious faith with, faith with us, and I think the with us is referring to the apostles. And how did they obtain it? They obtained it by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So, you know, I think, I think the thing to take out of, out of that, those, that sentence really is it's something that we didn't deserve. It's that the faith that we didn't deserve that we, that we are uh, that we now have and these people, or I guess these people had, uh, these people he's writing to, uh, they, they were obtained that. If you look at verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And here's our first, um, you know, I said to keep in mind this word knowledge. This is the 
first time it's mentioned in the chapter. And what's he saying here? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So I think that's telling us that in order for grace and peace to be multiplied in us, what do we have to have? We have to have the knowledge uh, of Jesus, or really here the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And so if you think about in your life and and how this works in, you know, in the rest of Scripture, I don't want to move back and forth really, but you know, the only way for us to grow in these things, in these two things, grace and peace, is for us to be more entrenched in the Word, for us to uh, be closer to God. That's the only way those things increase in our life. That's the only thing way they'll be multiplied, as Peter says here, is for us uh, to be as close as we can with God and with Jesus our Lord. And then in verse 3 he says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. So how do we, how do we have these things? How do we have all the things that pertain to life and godliness? Here again, it goes back to that knowledge. It's through the knowledge of Him and the Him here being who? The Him being Jesus. So that's how we have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. Um, and, you know, this is something that, this is a passage most of us are very familiar with. You know, we tied in a lot with Second. Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. Uh, you know, we're not going to read that, but th- those two passages are very closely knit. And what's that tell us at the end, of the end of the day? We don't have to invent anything. Don't invent anything. Jesus has given us everything we need. For what? For life and godliness. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think this is just limited to the life here. It's to the life eternal. I think it's, it's twofold here, this life that's being referred to. But either way, it, it applies even if it's just our life here. He's given us all things that we need. Um, and this word godliness will be repeated again in, in verse uh, 6 and 7. You know, it says there to perseverance, godliness. And then you add to godliness, uh, brotherly kindness. Uh, but anyway, anyway, here in verse 3, uh, the thing that I would take note of mostly is we have everything. Don't be inventing things. Don't... Try to think beyond what is written, as Paul says uh, in in the Corinthian letter. So here again, that the, all the, all the things that we have that pertain to life and godliness come through the knowledge of Jesus. And then what's it say there? Who called us by glory and virtue? This word virtue in the New American Standard is excellence or moral excellence, as is said in verse five. So that word will come up again. But he's telling us, Peter's telling us here that that Jesus called us by glory. And virtue, so by uh, glory and excellence is how he called us. And then look there in verse four, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Uh, and what are those exceedingly great and precious promises? You know, I think um, here again, I think that can be referred to as our life here. But most importantly, I think it's referring to what comes just uh, later in this verse. That through these, through those great and precious promises, through these, uh, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, this partakers of the divine nature, how, how do we gain that? I think that can be, um, here again, twofold, but, you know, when we become Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. You know, we know that, that that's a part of it, the gift of the Holy Spirit, but, but what else? Uh, this mortal cannot take on immortality. You know, our mortal bodies entering into heaven, that doesn't happen. We have to take on immortality. So that divine nature, I think that 
could also be re- referred to here more a lot more than likely is is what I think that is is us gaining uh, that that home in heaven that he'll talk about a little bit later on in, in verses ten and eleven, but I think that's mostly what he's referring to here, being partakers of that divine nature, and something else that really sticks out to me in this verse is having escaped the corruption, you know, and I think of corruption, I think of corroded, I think of rust, you know, something that that just doesn't last. You you you. Nothing that we see here lasts through eternity. It'll all be burned up one day. Everything we see, none of this stuff lasts. The only thing that lasts is this divine nature, I think that's referred to here, our soul that that goes on to live forever. It's the only thing that lasts. And Peter here is saying that these folks that he's writing to have escaped that. They've escaped that corruption that is where? That's in the world. And we're supposed to be out of the world. Um, And I... Here again, Peter will mention some more about this in verse 9 where he talks about forgetting. Uh, don't forget uh, that he's cleansed you from your old sins. You know, So all of those old past things have been forgiven of and we have escaped from the world. So don't live like the world. Uh, and we, You can't live like the world to gain that divine nature that we all want to uh, have and attain to. Alright, so pick up there in verse 5. I'm going to read this section again, verses 5 through 11. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Alright, so pick back up there in verse 5. But also for this very reason. For what reason? I think he's referring back to verse 4. Uh, that you've become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world through lust. So for this reason, what's he say? Give all diligence, and then you have this list. So since you've escaped the corruption, since you are putting on that divine nature, give all diligence to this. Um, and so I told Matt last night, I, I still didn't know what he was going to follow up with. And I, the more I studied this, the more I thought, you know, we really need to spend a lot of time on verses 5 through 7 because I wouldn't plan on spending a lot of time here. So I called Matt and think, man, what are you going to do tomorrow? But he's going to cover chapter 2 and 3. But I, I think we need to come back and spend a little time here because the more I study through this, the more I... Uh, the more importance I think that, uh, that, that this holds, the more importance I think this holds. But, you know, adding to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. Well, the faith has already been mentioned here. The faith has been mentioned in verse 1. Um, he's talking about adding on to your faith virtue. Well, uh, virtue's already been mentioned here too. And that, I, in the New American Standard, that's moral excellence. Uh, and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot we can talk about there, moral excellence. And if you look at, I believe it's Webster's is where I got these uh, <coughs> definitions. Virtue is conformity to a standard of right, a particular moral excellence. Here again, uh, conforming to a standard. What would that standard be? That standard would be Jesus. So conforming to that. And then you've got the knowledge. And we've already talked about knowledge, you know, uh, several times. And we'll pick. It, we'll mention it again. But um, I do think to some degree... These do build on one another. And why I say that is to me the thing that really 
sticks out to me that these do to some degree build on each other is to brotherly kindness and then love so the last two mentioned here uh and if i think about those two things i can just brotherly kindness and then adding on to that love is i can be kind to you and i really love you you know uh you can be kind to your spouse and not really really love them you can be kind to anyone and not truly love them Love is kind of the next step of that. You know, it, it's it's taking it to the next level. It, it goes back more of your motives. Why are you doing those things? Uh, so I do think to some degree these build on one another. Uh, but like I say, um, I don't want to spend the rest of the hour here because we could. We could spend multiple uh, Sundays really discussing this list. But it, I'd like to at least define some of them. We defined virtue, uh, knowledge, here, if you just look at it in Webster's, would be fact or conditioning of knowing something with familiarity, gained through experience or association, fact or condition, condition of being aware of something. And then if you think of just kind of the flow of knowledge, you know, you have knowledge, understanding, and then wisdom. Uh, so knowledge being the foundation of that. And then self-control is the next thing mentioned. So to knowledge add self-control, uh, or in my version, is just to knowledge self-control. And self-control is restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. So that's that's truly having, I mean, it's just like it says, self-control, control over oneself. And so it's really the idea of, you know, your natural tendency. So, you know, someone might say, uh, well, I'm just... I'm just kind of, I was kind of born mean or whatever. Well, you might have been born mean. That's no excuse. You're supposed to have self-control. You're supposed to control those things that are not right about you, the impulses, emotions, or desires. Any of those things are not uh, what they should be. You're supposed to be in control of yourself in all of those aspects. You know, the lust that you have, uh, the things that you want to say that you shouldn't say, uh, the desires that you have, whatever that is, uh, how you want to react in a certain way just off of your emotions. No, that's not acceptable. We're supposed to be in control of all of those things. We're supposed to have ourselves in subjection uh, as God would have us to. And then, you know, I do think self-control and perseverance kind of go hand in hand. You know, you have to have control of yourself uh, really before you're in it for the long haul. You know, perseverance is defined as continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. And how much do we need that? You know, there's always difficulties in our life uh, that oppose us as being a Christian. Uh, and we're supposed to, you know, this the definition is continued effort to, to do or achieve something. So it's, a con- it's something that's going to require, um, here I'd like to use Peter's word, your diligence in getting there. We're in it. It's it's a it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, as some would say. You know, we we've got to persevere through the things of this life, and then add to your perseverance, godliness. Um, really, just be like God. Uh, easy said, isn't it? Uh, but I mean, that's what that's what it is. It's adding to your perseverance, godliness, and then we've already talked about this briefly. But brotherly kindness uh, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Um, you know, if I think about the next things that that. Peter says here that if these things abound, you'll, you'll not be barren or unfruitful. Um, but he says if you lack these things, you're short-sighted. Um, and then he says in verse 10, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Uh, you know, he puts a lot of weight on this, on this list here. These three verses, Peter puts a lot of weight here. Uh, and the more I think about this list, I, I do think 
that you can kind of tie it back to what uh, Jesus says are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh, I think that refers to a lot of this faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, these things that are internal. And then what's the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. And I think he ties it in. Peter ties it in with brotherly kindness and love. So um, I would like for us to spend some time on this list, uh, some further time, and really diving into this and, and going through it. But let's continue here with what Peter's thoughts are. If you see there in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's that? What's the opposite of that? So if these things don't abound within you, you will be uh, barren and unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And what do we know happens to those that are unfruitful? They're cast out. They're cast you know, Jesus talks about that in, in the Gospels. Uh, those that uh, are barren and unfruitful, they will be cast into hell. And we don't want to be uh, counted among that number, do we? And then verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. What I gather here, what I, what I see or want to point out this morning is, um, you know, he's saying... You're lacking, if you lack these things, uh, really, you're blind. There's something wrong here. And then what's he say? You've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. And so that tells me that salvation is not a one-time thing. Salvation, uh, yeah, you get counted into the church. uh, You get counted into the number. You get your sins washed away. uh, But Peter puts more weight on it than that. You know, if you're not, he's saying, if you're not doing these things, you've forgotten what happened before. So, in my mind, he's tying these things together is, you know, you, you become saved, and then there's work to do. Be diligent. As Peter says there in verse 5, you've got work that has to be done. And then there in verse 10, he says, therefore. So, I think he's referring to the, the therefore, referring back to your sins were washed away. Don't be one of those that's forgotten that. Brethren, be even more diligent. So here again, here's the second time diligence is, is said. So be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And so here again, Peter putting a lot of weight on uh, these things that he's mentioned in verses 5 through 7. He's telling us we're not going to stumble. And if we're doing these things, you won't. <laughs> if you're doing these things, you know, you are, uh, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You won't be stumbling. And then what's he say there in verse 11? For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So not only, you know, you're not just going to skirt in if you do these things. It's going to be supplied abundantly. You know, I think that's the idea that, that Jesus is, is wanting us to be there. He's wanting to give us that home in heaven. And what's Peter say? Do these things and you'll make it. Don't worry about it. If you're doing this, your, you know, your seat is there. Your entrance uh, will be supplied Abundantly, I, I just I love the way Peter talks about that. There will be supplied to you abundantly, and then he, you know, not only is it into the kingdom, but it's into the everlasting kingdom. You know, he even he even states that I I, I love how Peter writes, uh, but you know, he says that we'll be there uh, if we do those things. And I th- I also think verses twelve through fifteen kind of are related back to five through eleven. Uh, and let's read that there and then we'll talk about it briefly. For this reason, 
I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Look how many times he talks about remind or reminding. Uh, Verse 12, remind. Uh, Verse 13, reminding. Uh, Verse 15, reminder. You know, uh, they say you have to hear something seven times before you before you actually hear it. You know, so I can I can tell you uh, my favorite color is blue. So evidently, I got to tell you that seven times before you're actually gonna take that in. It seems to me Peter gets that. You know, he's trying to remind them. And so, what's he say there, in verse twelve? For this reason, for what reason? I think he's going back to verses ten and eleven, talking about this this entrance that's supplied to us abundantly, and he's saying. I think he's saying, since I want that uh, entrance to be supplied to you abundantly, I'm not going to neglect to remind you. I think that's a lesson for us, is to not uh, be scared to remind one another about the things we think we might even should know or already know. Um, I know I know. for me, i got to hear it. You know, I, that seven times, that, that's for me. You know, I, I, need, I love repetition, repetition, repetition. That's how we learn. And Peter saw that, I think. Uh, I think that's why he says what he says here, but he's telling he's telling them he's not, not going to neglect going to neglect them. I don't think we need to neglect one another either, uh, but he's going to remind them of these things, though they even know it. So it's not like they didn't know; they knew. And he said, "I'm going to remind you," and um, though you know and are established, so they knew it, they knew it, and they were establishing it. Peter's going to keep reminding. And then in verse 13, Yes, I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. I think here Peter Peter evidently knew something was coming. He knew he wasn't going to be in this world much longer, it seems. Um, and who I don't know the death that he, that he died. Uh, maybe someone can shed more light on that here in a minute. But um, you know, I, as far as I know, it's not recorded how uh, Peter died, but... You know, at least from the way he writes here, it doesn't sound like it's going to be an easy death. You know, he, he says that Jesus Christ showed him uh, how to put off his tent. He showed him how to how to die, and that seems to be what Peter's referring to here. Then verse fifteen. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So he's making preparations for them. I think to me this this steps over from brotherly kindness into love. You know, he loves them enough that he's thinking about them. He's obviously uh, here in verse 14, he's thinking about his own departure from, from this world. But what's, he, what's he worried about? He's worried about reminding them, uh, even, even after he's gone. Not just while he's here, but even after he's gone, he's worried about them. So, let's go into verse 16. Here's where I think Peter kind of switches his thoughts uh, here in verse 16 to go uh, from focusing on verses 5 through 7, really. I think it was his focus there. And then he moves on to focusing for, I think, even preparing them more for after his decease. Because what's he do? He he switches out of this, and as we'll see in chapters 2 and 3, especially in chapter 2, he's talking a lot about false teachers, those that will come in um, and and try to deceive you and take you away from the things that, that, they, were, that they knew and were established in. So let's read verses 16 uh, through 21. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here in verse 16, he's assuring them uh, that you know they're not just following some craziness. You know they uh, they're not following cunningly devised fables. Uh, and of course, Paul talks about these fables and the genealogies and being caught up in all that. And Peter's saying that's not what's going on here. We're not, that's not what we're following. Um, but what's he say? For we did not follow. Uh, cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Um, here again, me liking the way uh, Peter Peter writes, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Uh, you know, talking about Jesus, uh, that word majesty just, just sticks out to me of a good descriptive word of Jesus. But he's telling them that, hey, we were with Jesus, we saw Jesus. And he's in the next, in verse 17, he's really referring to uh, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. If you'll turn over to Matthew 17, I would like to, to read that. Read Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on the high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so here we see that Peter was here. Peter was here when this happened. Peter was here when uh, when God spoke this. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was an eyewitness of these things. Uh, and what's Jesus telling there in verse 9? Don't tell this to anybody until when? Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So Peter is carrying this on. He, he, he teaches this message here, I, I believe. For he received from God in verse 17 of, of chapter 1 in, in 2 Peter, for he received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came from, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice. So here again, Peter's saying, I was there. We heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And you know, I think about all of Matt's lessons that he's been having about the prophecies of Jesus. And what's, what's Peter saying? It's confirmed. We've got it. Um, and he says there, which you do well to heed is the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture uh, is of any private interpretation or origin, interpretation or origin. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here. It seems to me at least this is pretty self-explanatory that 
Um, he's saying that, you know, no prophecy of Scripture. So none of the prophecies we have that Matt's been talking about in, in his 9 o'clock classes is of any private interpretation or origin. That just that didn't just come up out of anywhere. Um, but where did they come from? In verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So holy men uh, were spoke these prophecies uh, when the Holy Spirit moved them to do so, when, when God moved them to do those things. So um, I appreciate your attention this morning. Uh, that's, that's chapter 1. Uh, if you've got any questions, uh, Matt will be happy to fill those in, in a minute. But, um, you know, we do have a time for questions after, after this. But <clears throat> you know, one thing I think about as we come to a close is going back to uh, verses 5 through 7, this list that's talked about here. And then looking at verse 9, uh, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and is forgetting that he was cleansed from his old sins. And so, really, there, there's two things here. Um, to to look at it as we close is, you know, if you are a Christian and you've not been doing these things, he's calling you blind. He's calling me blind. If I've not been doing these things, uh, I'm short-sighted uh, to blindness. And so I don't want to be blind, and I, I don't think you do either. And if you if we have if we've been neglecting uh, these things, um, I say let's change. Let's try to do better. Let's focus more on what Peter's saying here and try to apply those things to our life. And then he is forgetting that he was cleansed from his old sins. Well, if you're not a Christian, you had not been cleansed from your old sins. That's not a reality for you. Um, it's only those that, that accept Jesus and that do the things that he said uh, to add you to the church that have been cleansed from their sins. And so if, if there's any here today that uh, need help or the prayers of the saints here to encourage uh, you in, in doing these things that he's mentioned here in verses 5-7, through seven, or if you're not a Christian and you'd like to become one today,